a word rejoice, Greek word rejoice that's seen in verse 2 and in verse 11. So just read it. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. For when we are still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do want to hear directly from you. During this time, we would like uh, your Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts, um, your gospel, the word, and the, your love for us, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts, something deeper of your love for us, um, that we may rejoice. We pray this for your honor and glory. Amen. So, yesterday, um, my wife was at um, a play, a Greenleaf play, and she asked the lady sitting next to her, so what advice can you, can you give us? We're going into parenting uh, our first. Like, what advice? And her answer was, don't rush it. Like, enjoy the moments. Like, don't rush till they can walk, or don't rush until they, they're potty trained or um, but just enjoy where the, ch- the child is in the moment. And the thing that impressed m- my heart the most about this passage was the fact that we could, when it says we glory in tribulations, so rejoice in tribulations, it's like, what? Like, how, how is that even possible to rejoice in suffering and pressures? And so that, that was what really first intrigued my heart to Romans, and then the Lord showed me a number of other like really cool things. So I'm excited to share with you this morning from Romans. I kind of see um, three trios in this passage. There's the uh, trios of rejoicing, three things to rejoice in. Um, and then there's three blessings that we have in verse 1 and 2, and then three more um, later on, which we'll get to in a second. But I want to just jump right into um, Romans 5. Actually, I'll give a little background first. Romans 5 uh, starts with having been justified by faith. So it's 
Paul has already established we all need justification. Um, and he's already shown how Abraham was justified by faith and how um, when as we believe in God who justifies the ungodly, that God credits righteousness to our account. And that righteousness includes the forgiveness of sins. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And so now Paul is going to go into expounding what we have, what the full extent of our salvation. And Romans 5 really, really gets into it. And it, it says, um, uses that word rejoice uh, three times. And so uh, my prayer today is that the Lord will show us may, uh, different ways to rejoice in him as we get into this. So the first thing is mentioned is justification, which we've already talked about. Having been justified, this is the first like blessing and uh, the first trio. We were justified. We have a righteous standing before God that's unchanged, having been justified once for all. And so when we feel, it doesn't matter if we don't feel righteous before him. Sometimes you feel unclean, but this position in Christ never changes. And so we've been justified. And we have peace with God. This is logically flows from having been justified. We, um, we've been brought near. When we once were alienating uh, enemies in our minds by wicked works, yet now through the blood of Jesus, that relationship can be restored, reconciliation. It's not here talking about the um, subjective peace of God that Philippians 4 speaks of, but it's the peace with God. It's unchanging, like justification. We always have that peace with God. And so that's the, that's the second blessing, peace with God. And then the third one, which is just soul-thrilling to me, is we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And I have just, I feel like I've just barely scratched the surface of what, what that means. But I want to give my best shot at explaining it. And so, access. Access into God's presence was something that happened in the Old Testament once a year by the, the high priest, right? Would go into the, the presence of the Lord once a year. Um, there was definitely restricted access to God in the Old Testament. But through the blood of Jesus, there's no longer any restricted access. There's full access 24-7, um, 365, every day, of the, every day of the year. And so, um, in the times of Esther coming before the king, the king had to lower the scepter to like accept uh, a person into their presence. Well, um, to liken it to that situation, the scepter is forever lower toward us. We always have access. 
into his presence. Um, Hebrews would tell us, Hebrews 4.16 would tell us to come boldly to the throne of grace, to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. And this is our, our great privilege. Only the child of the king can approach him at 3 a.m. in the morning. Uh, we are the children of the king of the universe, and he's granted us 24-7 access into his very presence. It's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. And, it, and then it says this. It says, um, access by faith. We're justified by faith. Access by faith. We start by faith. We continue by faith. Um, and then it says, by faith into this grace in which we stand. And a number of uh, commentators or different people have, have talk about our standing. It speaks of our position. Like it's what's uh, true of us all the time. We're, we're standing in grace, having stood on the gospel, having trusted in Jesus. We are granted this standing in grace. Uh, it's similar, I, th- I believe, to Ephesians 1, 6, where it talks about wherein we have been accepted in the beloved. And that word accepted is actually the word grace or graced. We have been graced in the beloved. And we have this position as accepted, favored, highly favored, loved. And it's this place of sweet communion, sorry, sweet communion with God in which we get to stand in his very presence favored, loved. There's something so sweet about that. There's no, there's no thought of sin. It's already been dealt with. It's only love. And it's the love which the Father has for His Son. We're accepted in the Beloved, in the one of His, in His love. And it's a place where God, um, we have access into this place in which we're fully known, fully loved, cherished, treasured. I remember talking to Noah a while back, and he asked this question, which is, I think interesting for all of us to ask, but it was like, we know God loves us, but does he like us? Does he, does he actually like having us close? And the answer is yes. He's, he's put us in his son, the son of his love. He, he likes having his son close. And he's put us in a place of favor. Um, when you have favor, and within someone's eyes, you have their approval. They're, they like you. And so I think there's something deeply personal about this. And um, I think it's really simple. How do, how do we appreciate this access we have into the standing of grace? I think it's really simple. We, first of all, we believe it. And then secondly, we live like we believe it. We live like he's highly favored us. And so, um, if it's all right with you all, 
I'd like to just take just a moment and pause because I think there's um, one of the things the Lord really impressed on my heart is like there's there's like a response needed to some of these things. And so I want to just pause, although it may be uncomfortable, and just give us a chance to like think before the Lord about this um, this access we have into his very presence and uh, just respond as the Holy Spirit would give us help. Father, it truly is sweet to have this standing in grace in your presence. I have access to a place where we're highly favored. May you make this real to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it says, these blessings, they flow right into this next uh, phrase, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And it's another, like, packed phrase. And it's also the first of, like, this trio of rejoicing. And so uh, hope is not, in, in the, old, the New Testament, it's not like a wish, like I hope this happens. It's like more of an expectation. So you're rejoicing in the expectation of the glory of God. And um, I think that song summed up part of it in that it says, you know, I'm waiting for the the day when Christ comes, the one who died. I'm waiting for the coming of the day of the one who died for me, something like that. It's the day when we're, we see him and we're like him. It's the day when we see God in all his glory. We see the one who loved us. It's what Jesus prayed for. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world, John seventeen twenty four. It's First uh, John 3, 2, it says, uh, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's this expectation of seeing God and being like him, being forever removed from all sin, being forever in the presence of the Lord. Uh, every tear is wiped away. Um, Everything we fight against, the world, the flesh, and the devil is done away with forever. It's the glory of God uh, being revealed uh, for all to see. Um, It's a a hope of the redemption of our body, which we eagerly wait for, Romans 8. It's the culmination of all things. It's the coming of the Lord Jesus The um, and it, it's something I think primarily future. Obviously, the, all those things I mentioned are future. So 
what is interesting to know is there's one rejoicing in something future, and then we're going to rejoice in something now, or that we experience in this lifetime, which is uh, tribulations. It says not only do we rejoice in what's coming, which is exciting. First Thessalonians 1 verse 9 it says they turn to God from idols to wait for his son from heaven. Um, that's that uh, expectation of the coming of the Lord Jesus. But also it says, and not only that, but also glory and tribulations. And there's something just really amazing about glorying and tribulations. It's, you wouldn't expect that to be the case. You wouldn't expect us to be able to rejoice in tribulations. And I want to dive into what that word tribulation means. Tribulation, um, it literally just means a pressure. Most of the time it's used to persecution for the sake of the gospel, but not always. Um, James 1.27 talks about um, pure undefiled, undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And that's that same word, tribulation or trouble. It's a, it's a time of hardship. Um, and I think, I think this principle that we're going to see that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope, that principle, I think really works across the board any pressures. So naturally what I think of the pressures that I face are like pressures to give into the flesh, or pressures to give into an impulse, or pressures to um, believe a lie from Satan, pressures to go the easy route, pressures to um, I don't know. There's a lot of pressures in life. I think we can all relate to this. And so, how do we rejoice in our pressures? I feel like if we can grasp this, it'll just revolutionize our life. It's a total game changer. So I'm asking the Lord, Lord, would you help us get it? (laughs) So I want to dive into um, what these things bring. So troubles, uh, pressures, tribulations, pressures, they bring perseverance. Um, perseverance. There's a lot of uh, different places this word perseverance is used. It's actually used in uh, Romans 15.5 where it says, now may the God of perseverance or patience is actually what it reads, but God is a God of patience. He, um, We see at the cross the Lord Jesus endured the sufferings of the cross. We see in 2 Corinthians 1, 6 that um, if we are afflicted is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings, which we also suffer. That's that same word, tribulation. And so um, one thing we learn about enduring tribulations is that it actually teaches others how to endure them too. So Paul enduring tribulations was an example for the Corinthians 
and how they could endure tribulations. And the God of all comfort, or the God of, um, yeah, comfort, patience, would be the same God that would, who helped Paul, would be the same God that helped them. Hebrews 12, we read that during the breaking of bread this morning. And it's that, that same word where it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. And that is that word endure, uh, perseverance. It's what Paul, um, one of the first things that commended Paul before, he says in, uh, 2 Corinthians, that it was in, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience. That's that word, perseverance. And so, perseverance is something that God is the God of perseverance or patience. It's something that helps others. It's something that um, is, is how we run the race looking unto Jesus. And it's something that commends our, it's one of the things that Paul commended him, uh, showed that he was a minister of God and much patience in tribulations and distress, in needs and distresses and stripes and imprisonments. These are the things that, uh, it verified that he was an apostle, a minister of God. So, the pressures, make us turn to God and God helps us persevere under them. God helps us to continue to trust Him in the midst of the perseverance and in the midst of the trial. And then that trial, that pressure, um, the perseverance leads to character. And this word character literally means like a provedness or a tried character. So you've persevered under trial, under a pressure, and that's character. That's um, what the Lord wants. I noticed that James 1 has a lot of similarities, um, and I'll just read it. We, we get to rejoice in tribulations. That's what it says here. My brother, count all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, that word testing, is very similar to the word character. And so character is like a, a provenness. You've passed the test. You've persevered under the pressure. And knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, that's the same word as perseverance, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so we have joy there. We have character or testing. We have patience. And, uh, it's a, it's a, James adds that it's a testing of your faith. And so, um, tribulations lead to perseverance as we trust God and we trust uh, him to work what's happening, what's happening right now for something good. We're able to enjoy the present because we're looking forward to what the Lord is going to do through it, how he's going to mold us and make us. 
the perseverance, the character, and the hope. So this word character also means, um, it's also found in First Peter where it says, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, might be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That genuineness, that approvedness of your faith, that's that word character again. Um, it's uh, persevere under pressure. You get character. And out of character, you get hope. And we're kind of back to where we started, hope of the glory of God, hope of um, we, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, at the end, I think I'll, I'll share like a couple of stories. I think I'll wait to share them. But there's something so, all I'll say right now is there's something so beautiful about being able to look at pressures right in the face and be able to say, you know, the Lord is going to do good through this. And I... I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rush this pressure. I'm gonna get perseverance and character and hope out of this pressure. And I think we have some great examples, both in the past and present, of people who have, they've, they actually rejoice. They consider it a gift that the Lord gives them a health illness or something like that, because it's, it's an opportunity for us to uh, get closer to the Lord through it. So then, rejoice in hope of the glory of God, and there's all this cascade of blessing that comes. And then in verse 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And... Um, God gives us a sure hope. It's a, we won't be disappointed at the end of our life that we trusted in God who, uh, who says he's coming back. Like it's, the Lord's already proven his trustworthiness, uh, through the cross. The love of God has already been poured out in our hearts. And so we can trust him for the future. It's not going to be disappointing. And then the next section is a, kind of an exposition on the love of God. God has already shown us just how loving He is and just how capable He is to save us. He will surely come through in the end. Uh, we'll talk more about this hope when we get to verses 9 and 10. The, I think it comes, verses 9 and 10 come back to this idea of what God's done in the past guarantees what he will do in the future. Before we go into the love of God, though, I want to talk, talk just a little bit about the Holy Spirit. So we've been given um, the love of God in our hearts as a present possession. And then we also were given the Holy Spirit. We're given a sure hope, the love of God, 
and the Holy Spirit. That's like our, our second trio of blessing from the Lord. And I want to talk about the Holy Spirit for a minute. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes the love of God real to our hearts. As we look at the Lord Jesus, I believe it's the Holy Spirit that as we look to the cross, the Holy Spirit makes it real in our hearts. And so that's, um, I wanted, I was thankful for what Todd prayed, that we would hear from the Lord and that the Holy Spirit would work. Because unless the Holy Spirit works, it's just words on a page. And yet when the Holy Spirit takes the love of God and sheds it on our hearts, it's like there's, it's amazing, there's life. And so the Holy Spirit warms our hearts with the love of God through the Lord Jesus. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit that manifests the life of Christ in our, in our life. Uh, for the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So as a law or a principle, the spirit takes the life of Christ and manifests it in us. Um, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit points to Christ and brings out Christ in our lives, jealous for Christ. The love of Christ compels us, this love of God poured out in our hearts. And one of my, um, as I was reading through this, one of my prayers was, Father, thank you for saving me from a cold heart. Thank you for warming my heart with the love of Christ. As I meditate on these verses, the Lord warmed my heart with the love of Christ, the love of God shown in Christ. And it's almost as if it's like um, Paul anticipates, I don't know, this is just my guess, but it's almost as if Paul anticipates someone saying, well, what if I don't feel the love of God in my heart? And so he's going to give us uh, three three ways the love of God is shown, at least three. But we'll, we'll stick with these three. And it's like, well, here's the love of Christ. If you, don't, if you want to see how the love of God is shown in your hearts, look, look here and look here and look here. If this is not enough, here's another one. Here's another one. And so, and if that's not enough, look again, because the Holy Spirit will and can use these verses to warm our hearts with the love of God. Because it was when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were helpless, we had nothing to offer the Lord for our salvation. Uh, we were running our hellbound race, um, indifferent to the Lord Jesus, and and that's when the Lord saved us. Such such love. And verse 7 is a contrast. You know, for someone morally righteous, um, not too many people are going to die for a morally righteous person. Maybe someone who's righteous and like just really good, warm, loving, kind, like kind of like the best person you could think of, someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were spitting in his face, while we were running our own 
uh, way. All we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. While we were going astray, while we were far from God, breaking his commandments, spitting in his face, that's when God showed his love for us and sent Jesus to die for our sins. And it goes on um, to say um, in verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. He died for us when we were enemies in our minds by wicked works. Such such great love for us. It's like there's there's no greater love than this. That's one of the things that um, the Lord used to transform my heart at the age of 19. It's like seeing no one loved me like the Lord did. No one. No one gave this kind of love. And the Holy Spirit can use these verses to shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. To um, warm our hearts afresh with just how much the Lord died for us. Just how much the Lord loves us. It's shown in his death for us. And then let's talk about the um, much mores. So there's two much mores and there's more much mores in the verses to follow that we didn't cover. But the two much mores are um, verse 9 and 10. Says much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we are enemies we are reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So the first much more it has to do with being saved from his wrath. And I think this goes back to the blessing of our sure hope. It's like if Christ already has justified us by his blood. He's already taken the wrath of God. He's already been the satisfying sacrifice for us. Surely he will keep us from the wrath that's to come upon the world and upon uh, all unbelievers at the end of the time. And if we've been reconciled through his death, how much more shall we be saved by his life? If if his death accomplished so much for us, how much more his resurrection life? And the the saved by his life is is an interesting phrase. I think there's a, a depth there that I haven't fully grasped. And um, I don't think it's just saved from hell by his life. I think it's saved, um, which that can be, it's not his... Um, it's not his life on earth that saves us from hell, that's for sure. It's his death that saves us. But his life can save us from, his resurrection life in us can save us from sin and dwelling sin and can save us from a wasted life, can save us from wallowing despair. Um, it's his life in us that allows us to persevere under trial and develop character. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His life in us, John fourteen nineteen. because I live, you will live also. And so, if his death accomplished so much on our behalf, uh, what, what will his life in us? What will his life as a, he ever lives to make intercession for us? Like how much uh, will that accomplish today, right now? I don't know. It's, um, it's amazing to think about Christ living in us. Then we come to the last verse, the end of our rejoice trio. It says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have now received the reconciliation. And so we've looked at uh, rejoicing in what's in the future, what's in the present. That's our pressures. And now we get to, and now we're looking back. We've received the reconciliation. We've, uh, through the, through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And so we're thankful. And that's what we, uh, that's a lot of what we do in, during the breaking of bread. We rejoice in what Jesus has done for us and remember it. So, Just like um, Joanna's friend who said, don't rush it. Don't rush your Christian life. I've spent so much of my life waiting for the next like exciting thing. And yet the Lord has these tremendous blessings for us right now. And whatever pressures that we find ourselves in, um, there's more of the Lord to experience. There's more perseverance to lay hold of, more character to be developed, more hope of His coming um, to find as we enjoy the pressures now. Um, by His grace, I've told the Lord, I want to make it, making a decisive decision by Your grace to enjoy the the present now no matter what happens and no matter what's going on to enjoy the lord he's given us so many things to enjoy so many blessings and we get to enjoy them now i want to give just in closing i want to share one uh story of a woman who understood this and it's from I believe the 1940s she understood what it meant to rejoice in trial she was imprisoned in Siberia and uh, very much persecuted for her faith and this is what she writes in a letter that she was able to send out uh, from a lady named Mary this is what she writes the best thing to report is that I feel so happy here. It would be so easy to grow bitter if one lost the spiritual viewpoint and began to look at circumstances. I am learning to thank God for literally everything that comes. 
I experienced so many things that looked terrible, but which finally brought me closer to Him. Each time circumstances became lighter, I was tempted to break fellowship with the Lord. How can I otherwise, how can I do otherwise than thank Him for additional hardships? They only help me to do what I've always longed for, a continuous, unbroken abiding in Him. Every so-called hard experience is just another step higher and closer to Him. Um, she writes a little later in another letter, I am still in the same place of exile. There is a godless society here. One of the members became especially attached to me. She said, I cannot understand what sort of person you are. So many here insult and abuse you, but you love them all. She caused me much suffering, but I prayed for her earnestly. Another time she asked me whether I could love her. Somehow I stretched out my hands toward her. We embraced each other and began to cry. Now we pray together. My dear friends, please pray for her. Her name is Barbara. In another letter she writes, I wrote you concerning my sister in Christ, Barbara. She accepted Christ as her personal Savior and testified before all about it. We both, for the last time, went to the meeting of the godless. I tried to reason with her not to go there, but nothing could prevail. She went to the front of the hall and boldly testified before all concerning Christ. When she finished, she started to sing in a wonderful voice a well-known hymn. I am not ashamed to testify of Christ who died for me. His commandments to follow and depend. I'm not ashamed to testify of Christ who died for me. His commandments to follow and, and depend upon his cross. The air seemed charged. She was taken hold of and led away. Two months later, another letter came from Mary. Yesterday, for the first time, I saw our dear Barbara in prison. She looked very thin, pale, and with marks of beatings. The only bright thing about her were her eyes, bright and filled with heavenly peace and even joy. How happy are those who have it. It comes from suffering. Hence, we must not be afraid of any sufferings or privations. I asked her through the bars, Barbara, are you not sorry for what you have done? No, she firmly responded. If they would free me, I would go ahead and tell my comrades about the marvelous love of Christ. I am very glad that the Lord loves me so much and counts me worthy to suffer for him. Amen. Father, we thank you that in trials and hardship and pressures, we can come closer to you. And we can find even in the sufferings that you're doing a marvelous work. And even in the pressures of life, there can be much joy. Uh, as one writer put it, the opposite of joy is, is not uh, sadness. The opposite of joy is sin. And the... Father, we want to live out the reality of these things. I pray that you would bring it home to our hearts. And thank you, Lord, for those who have already laid hold of this um, to a degree and help us to lay hold of it. Uh, help us all to lay hold of it even more um, that we might 
literally thank you for everything. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.